Welcome to the Easel Studio Podcast. This is the audio version of an episode that was originally broadcast on easel.eu. If you wish to watch rather than listen, go to Easel Campus to see all the episodes on demand. Good afternoon out there in Liverland and welcome to Easel Studio, your weekly hepatology broadcast news. So thank you very much for tuning in. I think we have a very important topic for all of us. I guess that counts most hepatologists across the globe who deal with uh, patients with cirrhosis and decompensate cirrhosis and use albumin. And here we will challenge what we do and how we would do it. Is it for all, none, some? Do we use it too much, too little or too long? So with me, I think I have a distinguished faculty, some of the best minds around this in, in the world. So my co-moderator will be Alastair O'Brien, uh, famous from his big trial published in New England Journal. The next one, Paolo Caraccini from Italy, the Lancet publication, not exactly pointing in the same direction. And Juan Claudia from Barcelona, one of those with deepest insights in the mechanism of what this uh, actually do. And Elisa Posa also from, from Barcelona, a very skilled scientist and clinician, also with lots of experience in, in this. So just to kick this going, for those of you who may have seen or not seen the promo video, I challenged Alistair a little bit. Because in science, we discuss a lot, but in clinics, we do. We either do or we don't. You can give albumin or not. So therefore, uh, Paolo, I'll give you the same challenge as Alistair was up to. So I'll ask you some questions. And you can only say yes or no. All the maybe or why or in between, we can do afterwards and unfold that. But just to understand a little bit where you are. So should patients with decompensated cirrhosis have albumin for the long term? Of course, yes. For hepatorenal syndrome? Yes. AKI? Uh, I would say no. Okay. Uh, SPP? Yes. Uh, Non-SPP infections? No. Septic shock in cirrhosis? Uh, I would say yes. Okay, very good. So what about a patient that say chance C? Big peripheral edemia, very low serum albumin. Would you fill them up? Chelsea with the edema scientist, yes. Okay, very good. I think that was a good uh, point of departure. Uh, uh, maybe I'll then throw the ball over to, to you, um, Elisa. So now you heard what these two guys say, but... but uh, how do you administer? How do you see albumin in your clinical practice? Well, uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, well, I think I have to disagree in part of with my colleagues in some of the in some of the answers. Uh, in the clinical practice, we actually do not administrate albumin for long term treatment in patients with cirrhosis. And the reason why we don't do that is that we have a positive trial that has shown beneficial effects in, in survival, but we also do have a negative trial on this. And of course, we can say that the dose used or the design is, was not uh, uh, the, the, uh, the optimal, but uh, I think we should have a confirmation trial to, uh, to be 
quite sure of these uh, potential beneficial effects. As how, do you want, how do you want this confirmation trial to be? Or do we already have it coming? <laughs> Maybe we have it coming. There are different initiatives. I think that the the uh, trial that is been now uh, performed from MicroPredict will uh, will help to identify those patients who are like most um, likely to uh, benefit from the albumin treatment. Uh, there are other initiatives that may be targeted to uh, to identify those patients who have the most beneficial effects of albumin administration. I wouldn't uh, recommend, based on the current evidence, the administration of albumin to all the patients with ascites. Okay, any more? Because I think it's really important that this is really, we build the road as, as as we go a little bit here, but there are huge initiatives. Maybe back to you, Paolo, from, from the decision. You also do a trial there to further understand albumin. Can you maybe just mention one for MicroPredict, also an easel consortium a trial with 240 patients in seven countries, again, randomized um, based on a biomarker of likely or unlikely to benefit, but basically in that setting and in a double binder setting, trying to confirm what you actually did in the ANSWER trial. So, uh, regarding the decision, the decision is another European consortium, and uh, we have to uh, define a combinatorial therapy among existing drugs, and at the end of the three years uh, period of preclinical work, we decided to choose uh, albumin plus enoxaparin. This will be a proof of concept study, uh, in patients with uh, discharge after an episode of acute decompensation, a three-month period. That's that. Uh, hopefully, it will start at the end of this year. So, Alistair, you were the guy with with all the nays. So, do you think Elma has a bright future with these uh, nice big randomized trials coming through, or should we? Uh, or what do you think? I, I I think it's very interesting. I I I um, do wonder that if we compare the, the MACT and uh, uh, the uh, answer study, whether we already do have some answers there uh, and, and that uh, you, you, the, the, the MEL scores were different uh, on the transplant waiting list. Uh, so one would expect people on the transplant waiting list who get transplanted to have good outcomes. So, so I, 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 I think that the, 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 the suggestion there is that, um, as Paolo and I have discussed before, Albin isn't magic. Uh, it, it's part of a battery of uh, things we do to try to help these people. Uh, and uh, uh, perhaps, uh, and I'd like uh, Joanne's uh, uh, input here, that the inflammatory stress, uh, uh, for want of a better word, uh, uh, that uh, the, the the attire and the MAC patients uh, uh, were, were subjected to was perhaps too great uh, um, to be overcome by uh, infusions of albumin. And, and perhaps... Uh, uh, those with slightly lower MEL score may, may be where we need to uh, uh, target uh, uh, use. Uh, Alastair, that's a very tough question, very difficult to, 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 to get a response, an easy response from the mechanistic side. So, uh, as you know, the, the research on, on, on the albumin molecule has been neglected for many years. And we, of course, give this molecule to patients, but we don't know how uh, it works. So we know that uh, albumin has non-oncotic properties, and we just 
uh, uncover that, that uh, albumin modulates inflammation. The question why in some patients uh, it works and not in others is very difficult from, uh, from the mechanistic side. At this moment, we just start uh, uncovering uh, why it's working in those patients in which it's indicated. And we have uh, evidence that actually uh, albumin interacts with the immune system, with the immune cells, because before only albumin was interacting in the literature with hepatocytes and endothelial cells. And now we know that albumin interacts with the immune cells on, a, on, on, on some aspects activating the immune cells and the others uh, down-regulating the inflammation. So uh, I, I don't well, have- you want maybe to interrupt here because I think this is really exciting. Uh, so we, I think most people use it for SBP, but there are also data showing that it doesn't work in non-SBP infections. With your knowledge there, can you explain that or- why it's very difficult. work in one and not in other infections? Yeah. On our hands, what we can uh, uh, provide from the basic uh, side is that when immune cells that uh, are immunosuppressed, when they are exposed to albumin, they regain immunocompetence. And to me, this would be a generalized response in both types of patients. So uh, mechanistically, we don't have an answer why uh, it doesn't work in non-SBP patients. Okay, maybe we can then take a quick round around SBP. So Elisa, uh, SBP, do you use um, albumin for SBP? And if you do, what dose? Yes, uh, yes, we do, of course. Uh, I have to say that probably we do not do the full dose of 1.5 and 1 grams per kilogram at day uh, one and three, because depending on the weight of the patient, it is quite a huge amount of albumin. So in clinical practice, we uh, often reduce the doses and do not do this complete uh, complete dose of 1.5. Um, of course, we do not use it in other infections. I know, Paolo, you also have a perspective on how actually to use or a little critical, basically, for SPP. Uh, how do you see it? Uh, well, I exactly do what uh, Elisa just said. Uh, I usually use a lower dose uh, divided by several days, several days, and also I also take care of the hemodynamic status of the patient because of course I will not give 1.5 grams per kilo in one shot in a patient at risk of volume overload. And now we have a bunch of patients with at risk of volume overload with all these obese and cardiac dysfunction and whatever. So that's, that's an important point. Maybe let's discuss that for a while, because I think some years back, we were not that concerned with the side effects that we all know there are rare allergic reactions, but volume overload. And I think now also in particular in relations to the use of teliprosine. So Alistair, you're also working very much in that space there. So, so what is your perspective on that? And how can we, we, we better protect our, our patients relatively to these side effects? 
It's a very interesting uh, uh, area, and uh, obviously the confirmed study uh, showed uh, uh, that uh, we can cause harm, uh, and they gave a lot of albumin prior to the terlipressin. I I would tend to uh, be in line with Paolo and Elisa that that I'd probably give uh, 40 grams uh, on a daily basis for the first three days and uh, look at the hemodynamic response for SBP. Overall, it is safe. Uh, I, I think uh, you know we we are correct. Uh, you know that uh, you, the entire uh, data did show a, a, an in, a increase in adverse events, but overall the rates of pulmonary edema were low. Um, but they they were associated with terlipressin. So this is a particularly AKI hepatorenal syndrome, a particularly sensitive. Uh, so I would tend to perhaps consider uh, earlier terlipressin and uh, low dose of uh, 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 albumin, which is, I think, we're more used to terlipressin in Europe than uh, uh, the States. And and they did, in the confirmed study, no criticism of the trial, but they did fill them up a huge amount before. So let me challenge you here, Alistair, and maybe you can help me have one, because, yes, so... You want to do lower, then there's less risk of, of side effects. But can you lose the effects? Because some of the interpretation is also a positive versus negative trial is also based on the effect. And I know the mechanistic studies, I'm sure you've been involved there also, Johan, that you actually need to have quite a high dose to actually achieve some of the effects we are looking for. Uh, can you just buy, give me a few arguments here to battle uh, uh, Alistair, Johan, of the well, higher I, dose? I can comment on that. Uh, uh, first, for example, uh, in experimental animals, also in, in vitro, the anti-inflammatory effects uh, are not uh, concentration-dependent or dose-dependent. They are already observed with low doses. What happens uh, in these experiments is that you give fresh albumin. The fresh albumin is the non-oxidized form. And what happens when you administer albumin to a patient there is a highly oxidized environment, and this albumin is already immediately oxidized when uh, circulates in the systemic circulation of the patient. So uh, maybe it's not a matter of dose, uh, it's more a matter of keeping the integrity. And I think here we should raise this, uh, um, this, uh, this um, question of uh, Paolo of the effective albumin dose rather than the the total amount of albumin that we are giving. How can we assess that as clinician? Because I agree that it makes sense. Okay, you want something that works relative to what that doesn't work. And that would be more personal approach. But do we have any tools that can actually say in a clinical practice be used to assess what is effective albumin uh, concentration? Yes, no. We have a tool uh, that is not uh, still uh, applicable in the clinical, in the daily clinical practice, like the measurement of serum albumin concentration. People are working on that, and maybe we can. Give a little insight here, Paolo. What is it, and what can it do? How do you how do you measure it? Well, really, uh, you need to measure the um, with mass spectroscopy. The it, it is a um, high high, uh, high throughput technology i mean it, it doesn't take a lot the problem is that you need uh, uh, many samples you need the machine in the in your lab and it's not even not costly but uh, still uh, it's still matter of research and not uh, uh, applicable in the clinical practice 
but uh, people are working on that. Progress, but but we are getting in that direction. Maybe yeah, we're getting in that. Can I make a comment about uh, uh, the side effects uh, on on Hungary? Very fast. Uh, I think one point uh, is really to distinguish uh, the acute administration, short-term administration of albumin from the long-term. They are two different, completely different clinical scenarios uh, in terms of uh, type of patients, uh, aims uh, of the uh, treatment, uh, risk of side effects, uh, and, uh, uh, and also results of the studies. So that's, I think, it's a paradigm that we have to consider. So why is that, Paolo? Is that because the acute one are more fragile, hemodynamic, unstable? Or what are the reasons because that, that the tolerability is different from acute versus long-term? Well, uh, I think it's important to give uh, uh, a high amount of albumin to this patient. This is not easy because these are fragile, as you just said. So you may have the risk to induce volume overload and you need really a lot of a lot of a lot of albumin and maybe it's not a magic bullet it doesn't work in hours or days so you need to give enough albumin for enough time to see the effect that's why for me is much more in treatment for an outpatient rather than an hospitalized patient so If I had uh, continued the entire trial protocol for three months, giving weekly albumin uh, uh, after that, would we have seen a positive outcome? Well, what I can say is that in our trial, uh, all the curves split away after one or two months of uh, follow-up. And uh, we started to see significant differences even with survival after one year of treatment. So I what, is, what is that behind that? Because this is really interesting. And, and, and again, explaining why Alice could be part of the explanation that we, we have the acute effects, but the long-term effects, you know, it, it takes months really to make a difference. Do you have any explanation for that? Uh, my explanation, and you need to uh, normalize the serumamyl concentration. In some patients, probably you need to be quite above 3.5 grams per deciliter, which is the lower limit in the standard assays, close to four, that's my that's my number. And it takes time to reach that level. And in, in most of patients with the, our uh, dosage, scheduled dosage of the answer patients, we, you can get that level, you can normalize the serum albumin concentration, but you need to have enough albumin around uh to have the to see the effects that's very interesting because we we looked at the uh, going back to joanne's point about uh the the non-oncotic effects we we looked at not as sophisticated analyses as uh, joanne does in his lab but we we looked at albumin binding uh in patients given it as inpatients lot of albumin the treatment arm versus those that were in the standard of care arm that received much less and we saw no difference in terms of the binding capacity at the assay we looked at and we also showed no difference in any of the systematic uh, the systemic inflammation markers so may maybe we shouldn't be surprised we didn't see an effect uh, uh, if we couldn't overcome the systemic inflammatory burden uh, this is true that the binding 
it's resistant to some modifications, for example. But for example, when you use a, a non-oxidized albumin, you get an anti-inflammatory response in immune cells. While if you are using an albumin that has been post-translational -trans modified, uh, such for example, cystinylated or methylated or glycosylated albumin, then the response is the opposite. You inflame the cells and the animals. So uh, I think there is something here that uh, we should consider that uh, that that albumin uh, is uh, you know is uh, is modified in the circulation of these patients, and some of the non narcotic non properties are then uh, lost. Interesting. So maybe over to you, Lisa, uh, and staying in the acute effect. So I think there was kind of consensus that in septic shock in patients with cirrhosis, so non-volume overload, maybe underload. Or uh, um, So how do you use uh, albumin in, in, in septic shock? Let's just start to use the 5% or 10% or 20% uh, or doesn't it make a difference? Uh, I can't answer directly because uh, I'm not an intensivist and usually these patients are transferred to the intensive care. I know what uh, our colleagues do in the intensive care units. They use uh, uh, they use usually a mix uh, of crystalloids and uh, uh, albumin to expand the patients. Uh, there are two trials now, randomized clinical trials, so from the same group in India showing with the 5% albumin or a 20% uh, solution an improvement uh, in the uh, hemodynamic response to volume expansion, but with no clear data on survival. So how do so, you use you know, The point is that if you use the crystalloids, you have to really to use a, a, a very high amount of volume to expand these patients. So that's 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 why our intensivists prefer to make so what, they, what do you do a, in, a, a mix a mixture in barcelona there elisa well uh i think uh, i agree with paula i think what that with the evidence that we have until now uh albumin at five and ten and twenty percent has shown beneficial effect in hemodynamic response but not in survival and clinical endpoints in these patients and they are, I think, that actually at the same level that crystalloids. What we do in clinical practice is that to prevent uh, the volume over overload of uh, saline solutions in these patients, we um, also use albumin uh, for resuscitation, but not only albumin. I think they are probably at the same level of evidence for the use. What, what doses? So we have patients there, really severe patients, uh, very low blood pressure. So would you dare be afraid of giving um, one gram or one and a half gram per kilobottle weight? Or how, how do you how do you calculate or administer? I know they're not bad data out, but but how do we do in clinical practice? I think it's quite easier in the ICU because the, you have like the monitorization of the patient. So the, you can see the hemodynamic response in a few minutes. So um, you mean you... central central venous pressure measurements then monitor after that? Sure, and also arterial pressure in in uh, in uh, in many cases. So uh, arterial monitorization. So uh, 
you can see the response in minutes to the uh, to whatever intervention that you do. So uh, we also we always we used to um, administer this five five percent albumin and see how the patient responds to it, and we go increasing the dose. What do you look at when you look at response? Look at blood pressure. How, what, what do you look at as a response marker? Yes. Uh, well, the, in these trials, in the trials that have been published until now, the the primary point was the response state at uh, measuring the uh, median arterial pressure. And in clinical practice, we we also tend to look at the uh, systolic and diastolic blood pressure to see to see the response. Yes. So maybe also you, Alistair. I know those of you are interested. How how do you you use it in in London? So it's it's a good point. I was having a discussion with uh, some intensivists uh, just prior to this, and and their, their overall feeling was that they they felt m many of the patients that we send to ICU with liver disease are actually overloaded by the time they get there. This may be because we're trying too hard on the wards uh, uh, due to ICU pressures, uh, and and will often have filled them up perhaps too far and perhaps gone up on the terlipressin dose. So they, they often find uh, when the patient acutely gets there that, that they need to be offloading them rather than filling them up at that stage. Uh, uh, thereafter, I, I'm, I'm with the panel, uh, uh, largely crystalloid with uh, some, some, some albumin for if they develop SBP uh, or, or they're getting increased. So you need an additional indication to 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 use yeah, other yeah, yeah. because we've tried as hard as we can usually on the ward before they get to icu that they usually we've given as much albumin as most patients uh, would have received in attire and so beyond that i i think in in, in that cohort of patients it, it unlikely to uh, cause any benefit and may cause harm hey maybe here no uh bringing up another indication that has also been there are also data that Point a little bit in that direction is hepatic encephalopathy, acute, but also prevention. So, so who would give a go on that? Or do we all agree to do or not? <laughs> all shaking their heads. So, uh, Elisa, would you do it? You're the only one smiling here. The guys, they don't look too happy. <laughs> okay, can, can you explain me? So, so this is not an education. So what does the data tell us? Who want to give a, a why not? Uh, I, I can say from the attire data, we, we looked at um, hepatic encephalopathy by indication uh, at presentation, uh, uh, and it was about 80, 80 people uh, and um, couldn't, couldn't see any benefit in, uh, in clinical outcomes in these people. We didn't specifically look at uh, improvement of encephalopathy, but looking at renal dysfunction, overall survival infection, uh, we, we couldn't see any uh, benefit in those categorized as having encephalopathy at uh, trial entry. Okay, so that's clear. Another thing that's been discussed a lot and a big problem in these patients is hyponatremia. Uh, there are, again, something and also linked to hemodynamics. Maybe who would give albumin to patients with severe hyponatremia? Well, uh, if I, if I may, uh, yeah. I... 
I, I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, use it with the current evidence that we that we have, but we uh, in our unit are, are now running a, a trial for this indication of uh, acute hypervolemic hyponatremia in patients with uh, decompensated cirrhosis, and this is because we do think that this is a complication of cirrhosis that actually does not have any effective treatment, and that is really severe and that really impairs the outcomes of these patients. And there are like many strategies that have been said until now, like baptans and other uh, uh, types of medications of or interventions. And there are some preliminary data that albumin may be useful in this indication. Also, although I have to agree with my colleagues that uh, we should be careful with the dosing and the adverse events of the acute administration of albumin. So, Juan, with your insight, would you put your money on... Uh... Elisa's trial, or what is basically rational here for linking hyponatremia and albumin? Do you have any insight on that, or is it a hemodynamic-driven thing? No, not. I don't have any any explanation about the reason. So, um, sorry. I cannot no, no, no. That. It's just that that, that we, we don't know. That's why we're here to discuss. <laughs> okay, no, no. Can I answer on that? I, mean, I love that researchers admit that there's a limit to how much you can know. Now, the thing is, uh, yeah, with the, um, hyponatremia, I mean, uh, the main uh, stimulus for uh, ADH uh, secretion is effective hypovolemia. So usually hypo, hypervolemic hyponatremia is related to an increased ADH levels. And so if you correct effective hypovolemia with a plasma expander like albumin, you should have a decrease in, uh, in um, of, I mean, a, an improvement of serum uh, sodium levels. That's the classical pathophysiological explanation. Then, if albumin is also able to do something else, it's I don't know. <laughs> yes, it's no, probably more related to the oncotic properties of of albumin. Mm -hmm. so we get one. We're coming a little bit to an end, but I think one final thing before we wind it up, I want to discuss because there are clearly discrepancies. So, Italy enter trial, long term treatment into the guidelines. UK, Spain, not. So just to stretch it a little bit here, um, Alistair, why don't you use it? You don't trust uh, Paolo or his study? I think it was a great study and he's a great guy. Uh, no, I'd love, love to give it. We we don't have the capacity uh, uh, financially and organizationally. We we can't do this. We are looking into trying to do it, uh, uh, but uh, yeah, we don't have the capacity. But you have the capacity. Would you still do it based on one trial uh, that was uh, not blinded and there what could be potential confounders or or do you think there is enough evidence if you had enough money uh well i'm the uh patricioza uh, uh will uh, provide that evidence shortly so uh but but uh, it would be something to explore uh, i think uh, e even with one trial given we don't really have very much else for these people so that's it. Elisa, what do you think? Would you give it if you have the opportunity or you think the evidence is still not strong enough? I think that we we do have one trial, one positive trial, but we also have a negative trial on this, uh, on this indication. 
uh, with uh, different doses in a different scenario. But I think that to be quite sure for uh, this indication, I would uh, rather go for a, a confirmatory trial of these of these results. Although I I really think that the answer trial is a really good trial and that uh, made a difference in the treatment of uh, these and then opened this opportunity for treatment, for long-term tre uh, long treatment with albumin. Okay. Uh, can I make a short comment? Sure. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, a, a long-term albumin has been included among the medical treatment option of patients with ascites in Italy with our guidelines. I can tell you that is a standard of care in many pathological centers. We, there are two posters. Uh, the next is all meeting showing retrospective analysis of uh, 330 patients in five centers in the last five years, another about, I think, 150 in another two centers. So it, it's not only the answer trial now, it's really, uh, at least in Italy, the clinical, the clinical practice. I know that we need a conformatory trial. But you come uh, with more real-world evidence now. Is that what's happening, uh, Paolo? So we have something to look forward to in Vienna? Exactly. That's lovely. That's just lovely. <laughs> we are starting with the real-world experience, exactly. Okay. But I think now, coming to an end, a quick round, if you could all just give me the indications where you will have no doubt. I'll always use albumin. So who wants to start? Maybe my co-moderator there, Alistair. What do you, you're the more conservative here, I sense. So which situation in the clinic would you always use albumin? No discussion. Uh, Hepatorenal syndrome. Only thing. If, 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 I, if I had to put the mortgage on yeah. hepatorenal syndrome. That's perfect. So so which would your, be your indications, uh, Elisa, where you always use? Well, for sure, SPP and hepatorenal uh, syndrome. And large swollen paracentesis, I guess we're all... So, sorry, lots, also uh, large swollen yeah, yeah. paracentesis. No, no, yes, this is one topic that we yeah. didn't... Yes, 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 large swollen paracentesis also. And if I may, uh, if I may make a quick comment, uh, also for the, for those patients for with AKI, which is not reversible as the uh, guidelines recommend the expansion with albumin, because we should not forget that this is one of the criteria for the diagnosis or for the identification of a hepatorenal syndrome. And that also a percentage of patients uh, revert the AKI with this uh, expansion of albumin. So this could be, I think, that the indications. Yeah, a very good uh, point. So, uh, Paolo, you want to have the last word? The three uh, evidence-based indications, hepatorenal syndrome, SBP, and paracentesis with mm, some little changes from the mm, regarding the doses. About AKI, I said before, no because uh, AK, I agree with, uh, absolutely agree. If I have a doubt of hepatorenal syndromes, this is a part of the diagnostic algorithm. So of course I will expand patients with albumin, but remember that we have a um, paper uh, in Liver International from Kevin Patidar showing that uh, albumin is given for AKI in 70% of patients without ascites. So I have some doubts why you should give albumin to a patient without ascites and not giving crystalloids. I mean, except few 
Exactly. That's a good takeaway here, I think, for the last takeaway, because we are running out of time there. Without a scientist, uh, then it doesn't make much sense. So I think with that as the last word, I think on behalf of both Alistair and me, thank you uh, in, in the faculty here for, I think, brilliant insight, being uh, honest and, and, and to the point. I think this is very helpful. Uh, so thank you very much for, for joining. Mm -hmm.